and welcome to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see in Star Trek The Next Generation. And we think that starts by recapping and discussing the entire series one episode at a time, doing our best to look at it all through a lens of anti-oppression and pro-diversity. I'm Ruthie Cowper-Samoshi. And I'm Matthew Simone, and today we'll be talking about the second half of Encounter at Farpoint. This episode was written by Gene Roddenberry and DC Fontana and directed by Corey Allen and first aired on September 26th, 1987. So before we get into the episode, let's have a short check-in. We are recording this right in the thick of the COVID-19 pandemic. So let's make some space to acknowledge that and talk a little bit about how we're coping. So how are you coping, Matthew? Well, I, I one of the things that I thought was interesting is is that initially on the outset of this, everyone was like, okay, you've got you've got time now to go and write that book or start that podcast or whatever, right? Right. And so there is, I think a lot of us where I was particularly, I was feeling pressure to to try to be productive with the time and try to do something with it. But it it felt weird. You know, it, it felt like it was it was time that was taken to do those things, but on the back of a society that was sick, like literally sick. And so there, I saw corrections to these memes or responses to these memes that came out and said, actually, it's okay if you're feeling grief and not a lot of inspiration right now, because it's hard to be inspired when society is is doing poorly, when people are suffering. And I think to to try to expect of others or ourselves to be really productive during that time is to suggest that we are disconnected empathetically from one another in our society. And that's, that's not the case. So I think right now, like, I'm glad that you reached out to me and we tried to take the extra time right now to, to do this. And I'm finding that it itself is a way to cope with, with being at home more often, um, being disconnected from things that I'm passionate about, like space and space science education, which I'd normally be doing right now at the planetarium. But I, I'm not going to expect that a whole bunch of people are going to come out of this being like, I changed my life and I wrote that book because I don't think that's fair. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think like similar to you, I am glad that we are doing this and, and we're trying this and, and doing our best with it. But I also think like it's important to be transparent. And I think, you know, we can even say that like in this particular project, like you and I have had certain setbacks and I can't speak for you, but I can say for me, some of them came from just like days not going the way I thought they were going to go. Because yeah, when you have what feels like the gift of time because you're, you know, not working at your job or, you know, things are kind of slowed down in the world more generally, there definitely is a feeling of pressure of like, I have to use this time to be productive in a different way. I have to like productive in like a literal sense. I have to literally produce something for other people to consume. And yeah, there are days when I just don't feel like I can get out of bed or, you know, maybe I do get out of bed, but that's about it. I can get out of bed and I can feed myself and I can feed my cat. But other than that... Nope, not going to get anything done. And that's okay. Like there are other days when I feel really good and I feel, you know, like, oh, it's really nice outside and I can, you know, breathe some fresh air and and enjoy that space and that time. But it's not like that. that's not the norm necessarily. And it's certainly not linear. It's not like once you get through a certain number of tough days, then the rest of them are going to be easy. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think it's also indicative of how we 
view humans in light of a capitalist system of production, right? Like humanity, you as an individual really have no value outside of what you make or the labor that you give up because otherwise you starve to death. Yeah. Like you on your own, if you're not producing a thing, then you don't get to live. You don't get to have a house. You don't get to eat. You don't get anything. And I think that actually gets woven into our brains and into our souls that I have no value as a human, apart from what I can create or what labor I can give up, because outside of that, I, I don't I don't deserve to live. Yeah. And it's super messed up. You know, it's one of the reasons I like the Star Trek view of the future is that people are are seen as valuable because they are life forms. They they are life. They are a living creature. They deserve rights. They deserve to live. They deserve to have their needs met. You know, I think we touched on this a little bit last week too, but just in in, in saying like how much more productive and more creative can we be when that fear of survival is actually taken away from us? And I, I do think that right now in light of the virus, those kinds of conversations are starting to happen. I'm starting to see a lot of posts on about like universal basic income and mm-hmm. not saying that that's necessarily the solution to all mm-hmm. the problems that are going on, like either within COVID or, or outside of that context. But things like that are starting to come about now. Where we're saying like, how much better off will we all be if we just had our needs met? Yeah, I think also like one of the things, so like you were saying that that it's a very capitalistic point of view or like a capitalistic way of thinking that we are defined by what we can produce or our, our worth is defined by what we can produce and what other people can consume. While, while this is going on, we're also seeing huge flaws in the capitalist system because we're yeah. seeing like, you know, meat packing plants in Alberta that are just like cesspools for infection because of how fast things need to be produced. And like I there was some tweet going around over the last week that's like billionaires got $434 million richer or something like that since the start of the pandemic. And mm-hmm. meanwhile, like other people who are most people in the world who don't have billions of dollars are are not able to feed themselves and house themselves and take care of themselves because, because capitalism doesn't support everyone. <laughs> Like no, that's, yeah. that's and that's its design. That's not a flaw. That's that's yes. how it's that's embedded in its design. Yeah, it actually rewards that kind of behavior. Absolutely. Yeah, I saw an article with that. I didn't read the article, but I saw an article that had that title that you talked about, like how much more money was collected by billionaires. I think AOC had retweeted it, and I I, I meant to read it, but I I also had, uh, saw an article that said that that. Um, because of the uptick in Amazon orders while all of us were at home, that Jeff Bezos is on the route to becoming the world's first trillionaire. Yes. And yes. that's kind of, I. that seems, it's gross. I, I It's really <laughs> gross about that. I know that he's like, he kind of like parades on stage and, and has like people sort of, of in awe of that kind of wealth and he's into sort of like this the, as a public figure into like health and happiness and and holistic living and all that stuff but then i'm like but at the expense of all this like yeah. you know like anytime anyone in amazon right now has been even talking about unionization they're getting fired there's been like whistleblowers let go yeah there was a vice president i don't know his title or his position off the top of my head but he was vancouver-based vp that i think recently resigned yes yes uh as a result of the treatment of amazon staff you can't be a proponent of like wellness and taking care of yourself if you're not allowing the people who work for you to do that for themselves like we can't prioritize self-care over like the health of 
our communities that we're responsible to. Yeah, and you think like um, I I don't know what the um, what the economic packages delivered by other countries have been, but I know in Canada it's like the tens to I think a hundred billion dollars that are going to support people right now and businesses and in the United States I think it's upwards of a trillion dollars but this this is the amount of money that are held by like a handful of people in the whole world yeah so when you think about it like the amount of wealth that's even had by just maybe one two maybe three people in the world that are in that billionaire now even trillionaire class of people could support an entire continent through a crisis but have not and so what like what does that mean? There, and, is there no obligation there? Like I I don't know. And not only will like not only could that money do that for a huge number of people, but if you have a billion dollars, you will never see or use all of that money like that no. is so much money that's it's you, so much you'll, money. like your your children's children will not burn through that money if nope. you if you have children who have children like that so it's it's not like you're giving up something that would materially affect you except that you're giving up the power that comes from having that much money because you can wield it to like get certain people elected and like yeah. so so you're change education yeah but you're not you're not giving up something that would like affect your well-being no, and and so and it's it's interesting because I see when posts like this that are critical of the billionaire class uh, are made online, I see people sometimes rushing to defend them. The argument is often, "Well, you're just jealous of their wealth." And the truth is that, yeah, I am jealous of that wealth, but not because of like the material comforts that it would afford me. It's because I just like I think about how much I'd want to do with all that money to help people. <laughs> you know, like I just I get jealous of that. Like I'm jealous of the power to affect that kind of change. But right. at the same time, I wouldn't want that to be the norm. Like I wish that do I wish that I could be a billionaire? Sure. Because then I could use that money to try to make the world better. But at the same time, that means that the world is still relying on billionaires to make that change happen. And we we can't. Like we can't be doing it that way. Like yeah. we can't be relying on philanthropy to change the world. I argue that the one like one of the reasons that we need philanthropy is because that class is not taxed adequately because those businesses that they operate are not taxed adequately. But instead, you get to save your taxes, become a philanthropist, give away a trickle, let's, right. even if it's millions of dollars of what your fortune is, and then be lauded as a philanthropist. Right. But really, like you having that much money is doing so much more harm than the oh, good sure. of you giving that small fraction of it away. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I I see. I don't know how accurate some of these polls are, but it looks like younger and younger generations have less faith now in capitalism. I think they've started to see what what unfettered capitalism can do to the world. Yeah. And uh, you know, maybe my hope is, and it's unfortunate that something like this has to happen. But it's my hope is that this kind of shock to the system, although sometimes that means power is further concentrated in the capitalist classes but my hope is that people see what's going on they see the fractures in the system and we come out with something better or at least in steps toward whatever that better is i totally agree i would never want to like try to paint this as like a silver lining because this is a really horrible situation and it's like i'm not going to say that it's worth all the pain and death that has happened as a result of it like i'm not i'm not saying that at all 
However, we have been given an opportunity to look really closely at how we do things and how we might want to change them. And it would be really unfortunate if we couldn't take that opportunity that has had such a high cost yes, and do something yeah, the with cost. it. Like, yeah, it's that's a really that's yeah. I think that's a really good way to put it. Like, look at the the cost to the society. Yeah. Let's make it. Let's make that worthwhile. Yeah. Um. So anyway, speaking of a better future. Speaking of a better future. I mean, last <laughs> time humanity was being accused of being a pretty pretty horrible group of people. So a let's, grievously <laughs> savage race. That's what uh, that's what Q said. So let's yeah. um let's get into the episode. So what happens in this yeah. episode, Matt? In this episode, the crew of the USS Enterprise finally make it to Farpoint Station and try to uncover its mysteries while also facing Q's accusations that humanity is a grievously savage race. Yeah. We left off at the end of the last episode, the two pieces of the Enterprise finally connected back together. Picard and Riker have that debate about the role of the first officer, and we get that nice cameo from From McCoy. McCoy. Yeah. And I thought it was funny here because we get back to the bridge, and Q appears on the screen, and it was kind of like, get on with the plot, everyone. Remember (laughs) that there's still this challenge going on. And they're like, oh, yeah, there's a story happening here. I guess we should continue with it. Yeah, I also want to say just in my watching to prepare for this, um, I noticed that different, like, streaming services cut this episode differently. So, like, in, in one, the first half of the episode actually ended later like it ended with q on the screen um and like so anyway it's a little it's a little strange so if if this is different from how you watched it at home that's why it's because different services do it in different ways so which which service did you watch it on i watched it on netflix i watched on netflix and i also watched it on crave okay so in crave we're encountering farpoint one and two two separate episodes or one they're two separate ones and in in, a, okay. in Netflix, they're the same. But anyway, this is where we are. And uh, yeah, so <laughs> like Q appears on the screen and, and tells them to get back to the story. And uh, Worf is just about ready to fire his phaser through the <laughs> through the screen. And uh, Picard comments on that. And Worf like calms down. And I kind of, I like how, like he says, I will learn to do better. So he's showing that he understands that he's in the wrong. But then that's the end of of it Picard's like yep you will and and that's and, and it's it's not like you know like he's not guilty like I appreciate this. your initiative or anything yeah <laughs> no but also yeah. <laughs> but also like he's not like it's it's a kind of it's a nice example of like okay this person did something they probably shouldn't have done they got that that was addressed they apologized and now we're moving on with it you know it's yeah. not like we can never trust Worf again because of that one time he took out his phaser at a holographic image yeah a... I guess it wasn't on the stunt setting maybe this time. not yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think kind of a question like Riker and Picard have this conversation and they're like okay well how do we proceed from here because we are being judged we're being watched like how might it change our decisions and our behavior mm-hmm. and Picard has this response that I thought was really good he says if we're to be damned let's be damned for what we really are yeah I'm one of those people who have a tendency to second-guess themselves all the time, uh, especially if I know that something I'm doing is going to be watched or observed or judged in some way. I'm always like, oh, man, like, how am I going to how am I going to change what I'm doing? But I think this is great. He's just like, you know what? Forget Q. Let's just proceed as we would with our trading and what we know of Starfleet and go from there. Yeah. So, uh, so Picard and Riker discuss what's going on in the planet. The planet has an abundance of geothermal energy. And awesome. maybe they're set like basically 
Riker's like, there's no way they could have built that station. It's far too pretty. Yeah, digging into that mystery. Yeah. Something's up. Yeah, and there's a weird, like, I. it's kind of, it seems as though, like, Picard might not believe Riker fully, or maybe he thinks that, like, Q might be behind it. He also has a weird line. He says, if only every life form had as much desire to please, when Riker's saying that, like, they... You know, they keep showing up with things that you just casually mentioned meeting. So he's like, if only every life form uh, had as much desire to please, which is a little bit weird. That is a weird line. Yeah, I I forgot that he said that because I and I didn't write it down because I was just kind of like, what? It just kind of got filtered yeah. out. But that if only everyone wanted to serve us, yeah. everything would be better. It's very <laughs> so strange. strange. Yeah, it was it a weird line. Doesn't doesn't. And also, like, what about what about you, Picard? What about your life form? Would, would that be good if your life form had that desire to please? Yeah, and it's almost like that's the thing that they're upset with Q about. Like, yeah. they don't want to be entertaining Q, so why should... I don't know. I almost kind of ignored it as just a throwaway line that doesn't... Like, it doesn't fit Picard's character. It doesn't fit the story. It was just very strange. It's very strange. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, turns out Picard has suggested that Counselor Troy go down on this mission with Riker. They clearly have a yeah. history. The meeting... Or re-meeting. They, uh... They communicate telepathically, which I will just give a brief spoiler. This never happens again. No. I also don't know if, like... Because Riker doesn't respond. So, like, she's kind of wondering. She's like, do you remember what I taught you, Mzadi? And so I'm like, I guess I guess he doesn't. Yeah, Because uh, like, he doesn't, like, respond back. It's just like just, a dial tone. She's <laughs> just thinking this out into the ether, but it's not coming yeah. back. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's not responding yeah. beyond like just the, the 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 intense eye contact that they're making with each other. It's so it's a really interesting choice that the the creators made to have this be their dynamic that they were once together and now they're not. Like it's mm-hmm. it's I'm I'm curious as to why they came up with that idea. Yeah, I- and that their their relationship is not antagonistic i can't think of another example of a relationship like theirs on television i can't either and i don't watch a huge amount of television but i i definitely can't and that's interesting you say not antagonistic because like in this episode i got the feeling that there is a little bit of tension but throughout the series they just have each other's backs so much oh yeah they're yeah, just it's, they're really healthy yeah it's just it, they're such good colleagues and friends and it's a really interesting choice that was made. Yeah, and in this one, it's almost like that the tension is more... I, the way I interpreted it was he's trying to establish, like, listen, I know we have a past, but I have to establish a command dynamic here because I am your superior yes, officer right yeah, now. yeah, for sure. And it's it's not so much that, like, I hate you because you're my ex and we had a bad breakup kind of thing. I totally agree. Um, On a slightly different note, have you ever noticed that Riker and Troy have almost the same nose? I I have not noticed that. No. <laughs> they when they look at each other in the turbo lift, I almost like I thought if they were standing closer together, they could like make a vase. Yeah, and when Picard is just awkwardly staring at the door, I feel the entire like, time. They're so weird. That's such a weird scene. I feel like Picard is aware of how awkward this is. He's like, so oh, they don't. They not this. only know each other because he he's like, oh, you two know each other, and they're like, yes. We do. <laughs> so he's yeah, like, yeah. he he clocks so it. He sees how they know each other, and he's like, 
just going to look straight ahead, not acknowledge this weirdness that's happening right here. Yep. I'm just going to, you know, this is your personal moment. I'm your commander. I'm just going to pretend I don't see this. Yeah. As yeah, he yeah. often does. Yeah, he, which is good. He but... allows the officers their personal space and always appreciates right, that. The right choice the to make, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So they head down to the planet and they finally, they, they're really going to start digging into this, like, situation. They go down to the planet. They meet with Groppler. They're like, okay, like, what's going on? And Groppler's horns like... Sign the deal with us or we're going to give the station to the Ferengi. And at that point, Troy uses her empathic powers and she senses she's like pain, loneliness, like something is uh, is happening. She's sensing another entity. There's someone else definitely here. And and Picard's like, OK, if you're not going to tell us what's going on, then we're out of here. At which point Groppler's like, well, that's it. I'm going to give it to the Ferengi. And yeah. Picard suggests that the Ferengi might eat him. That to me, again, was a weird line. Like it's sort of like, it, I don't know. There's like a weird... We've never met the Ferengi at this point, right? Like, the Ferengi weren't in the original Trek, so... No, I, I think that's why, is that they, they... I don't think they even know what the Ferengi are going to be at this point. So we're like, well, we know about them is they might eat you, that they're scary. Yeah, yeah, or... yeah. It's it's a little... It feel it feels a bit, like, xenophobic, racist. There's something weird going on there. Yeah, well, I guess we know at this point in the show, especially if you've been a fan of the original series, that there was, there was an antagonist set up. It's the Klingons. We know that we were at peace with the Klingons now, so we have to hint at some other... Yeah enemy that's out there and as we know the fragi kind of get relegated to comic relief later right anyway. but they were they were meant to be the the main antagonist of this show when they yeah. start when they like first conceived of them yeah um yeah but anyway like groppler zorn clearly like has some knowledge of what's going on he's like he's, he's the worst liar he's, he's, the worst he's liar definitely ever. keeping something from picard and picard's just not having it he's just like Okay, well, if you don't want to give us anything we want, then we're not going to sign an alliance with you. That's how alliances work. (laughs) That's how it is. Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, Riker's back on the ship, and we need to get some time between he and Data, so... He needs to find him, and so they get this. They have this scene where basically Riker uses Google Maps. Yeah, this ensign comes up to him and wants to help him out. She's like, "Clearly, you don't know about these galaxy class starships." It's a, like there's a little dot that kind of follows along yeah. the wall to show him how to get to the holodeck. Again, not something that will feature prominently in the show. <laughs> no, they like they get like video or audio cues as to where people it's, are from the computer, but you yeah. never get like the thing anymore. Yeah. I guess by that point, they're they're, they're trying to, to show that they're supposed to know their way around the ship yeah. by now. And there's this scene where, and I was like, ah, oh, come on. I kind of rolled my eyes at it. But when he walks away, they have the ensign, like, blatantly staring at his rear end. <laughs> and I guess they're, like, trying to establish, like, oh, Riker's the hot, like, officer, you know, on the ship. And I was like, come on. I was just like, <laughs> it was, like, it was so tactless. <laughs> so Data is in the holodeck. And this mm-hmm. is um, another new thing, that, right? Like, these did not exist in original Trek. Right, yeah. So this is, like, you know, this is a family ship. There are some pretty cool amenities. Data's in this, like, jungle, basically. Um, And Data's trying to whistle, and Riker is capable of whistling and sort of shows him up. And Data is just so impressed by how easily humans whistle, which is, like, I mean, Mm -hmm. can Klingons or, like, Betazoids or Vulcans not whistle? It's a weird... I have no idea. It's a great this question. This is the kind of thing where I wish we had a different word for people from Earth because we've got all of these humanoid species who have certain characteristics in common. 
Yeah, which is in itself kind of a racist term. Yes. It's a speciesist term. Yeah, but like if you had, like in Deep Space Nine in like an alternate universe that we're not going to get into, but they talk about people from Earth as like Terrans. Terrans, yeah. And I just feel like if we had a word like that, then humans could include everyone. Like Klingons are humans from Klingon Empire and like Romulans are humans from Romulus and Terrans are humans from Earth. From Earth, but, yes. But yeah. instead we've got like there's this still this idea that like human is the default. And so like data yeah. data wants to become human. So he wants like that's like the normal alive way to be. Everything else is a deviation from that. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's one of those things where it's like if you don't think about it too much, you're like, okay, fine. But there I think underneath it there's kind of a there is kind of a sentiment there that needs to be talked about. It's kind of even like I, surprisingly, even all the way up to like the early 2000s when Enterprise is around, the Endorians refer to the humans as pink skins. And you're like, ah, really? So it's like that idea of, of similarity across yeah, yeah. that doesn't doesn't work, right? It doesn't, you know, it doesn't reflect the diversity of either like the race or the species across the galaxy. But anyways, I think I think in this case, what they're trying to do is set up this idea that hu- that data is trying to strive to become human. Yes. Try to get across the point that data is not human. He is superior in some ways, but not in others, like whistling, like being human, like that idea of humanity itself, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, how do you collect it and make it a part of you? Yeah, and... Uh, and he calls out Riker's prejudice. He does call out Riker's prejudice, and, and Riker gets really defensive about it, that he... Because Riker assumes that his rank is honorary and it's not like data graduated from starfleet academy like like right he says like does it bother you that i'm a machine and riker's like a little bit and data says yep well you know prejudice is very human and riker's like whoa you think you're so much better than me and data's like well i am better than i am yeah but i would yeah but he's also but he also says i i would give all of that up to to become human so human yeah and it's interesting because then, I don't know, like, you could probably interpret this in two ways. Either one, it's just kind of like an oversight in the writing. Uh, or maybe in line with what Data is saying about Riker's prejudice is that clearly as as first officer of the ship, Riker did no homework on Data. Didn't bother to look up his service record, like nothing. Well, and he clearly, did. He, I, like, he says he did look up his file when he was like recommended for this away mission, but not very thoroughly, clearly. <laughs> not very thoroughly, yeah. If he doesn't even know that Data did actual time at Starfleet Academy yeah, and yeah. graduated and everything. Data talks a little bit about how the holodeck works here. And in rewatching the episode, I realized that that might actually be a hint as to what's going on down on the planet. Mm-hmm. Because up until this point, we've never been introduced to the idea of matter replication in Star Trek. That's not a thing. So in the original series, we didn't have replicators. We had transporters. So we know that matter could be converted to energy and back. But we never had the idea that we could just take raw energy and make something new out of it before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we may not know what's going on in the planet. So I think that in this way, talking about the holodeck and what it can do is a way to sort of give an idea of what's been happening down with the entity on the surface. A little bit of foreshadowing. Enter Wesley. Enter Wesley, who is so excited to see Riker that he steps on a loose rock and falls into a river. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably not in any real danger. I don't probably think, not. But, they have the, but a they have stunt, stunt person. Data run yeah, down. <laughs> definitely not Red Spiner. <laughs> no, <laughs> runs down to rescue Wesley and hoist him one armed over his head. Yeah, not even like gently pulls him out. He's like, ah, like straight up into yeah. the air. Wesley's like, wow. Yeah. 
so then they they leave the holodeck and Wesley's like dripping all over the floor and they run into Picard and in the last episode Picard said he wanted to like project an image of geniality to kids and I think yeah. he could at least make an attempt if that's what he wants to do he could yeah. at least not glare at this sopping wet kid yeah which at that point he still didn't realize it's uh, Dr. Crusher's son right yeah I don't he has think. no idea who this kid. kid is he's just like like Wesley's like ah oh, maybe I should find something to wipe this up Here's something I was thinking about. If you leave the holodeck, would you instantly dry off? Yeah, I... I was wondering about that. Is that, is that not a thing? I don't know. I think, I think yes. That's, that is how it's supposed to work. Is that supposed to work? I don't know. I, th- I, I think know. it is. But then we wouldn't yeah. have that great joke. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. Because like, there's. I remember I was thinking back to like, there's another episode where the kids are throwing snowballs and the snowball leaves the holodeck and I think it hits Picard or someone else. At some point, <laughs> Picard always gets like hit with things, water, chocolate, you know, hot chocolate, whatever. But um, but other times you throw like a book or an object off the holodeck and it immediately like disappears. So yeah. I started having this. I was like, how does the technology yeah. work? Anyways, the technology works however is convenient for that however particular episode. Plot. Yeah, that's right. Just like warp speed. It's the speed of plot. That's yeah. how it works. <laughs> that's what happens. Yeah. Okay. So Wesley goes back and he's talking to Dr. Crusher about wanting to see the bridge again. Yeah. You know, and he talks about that there's a low gravity gymnasium i was thinking like what's i don't know what the point of that would be but i guess to float around it's it kind of like it kind of gives this idea that the low gravity is the hard thing to make where i was like wouldn't it is it gravity in general in space hard to do it's like yeah. having a low gravity gym means they just turn something off yeah, Anyways, yeah. I don't know. and but you can lift you know, he, really heavy things in there and feel really uh, yeah really i feel strong. awesome <laughs> and not actually be building any muscle whatsoever <laughs> so anyways he mentions to dr crusher I, he has a comment about picard and how he just seems a bit grumpy or whatever and she has this line and she says great explorers are often lonely yeah and i was like is that true yeah, I don't... I don't know. What does that mean? Yeah, I, it's it's interesting. I think, like, there's definitely... Um, it brings up... I don't think it makes a judgment one way or the other, especially given, like, where the show takes the idea of what family is, but it brings up this idea of, like, you know, there is such an important value in, like, getting married and having children and, and having that kind of traditional nuclear family. And so people who aren't able to do that or are often lonely it kind of brings up that idea but but it doesn't fully say that like Picard is somehow lacking because like it, it almost implies that but not quite and I think just in terms of where the show goes I mean Picard says in the first episode that he's not a family guy but he fully is by the end because the crew is his yeah. family looking back on this episode they actually do a pretty good job of setting up some of the future development paths of the characters like we have the Riker Troy dynamic that's going to be revisited uh, Data's quest for humanity is certainly going to be revisited throughout the series and Picard's development of some t- like in a way biological family although that kind of goes to a, a dark route later but certainly the family that he develops with the crew so yeah. all these things kind of get fleshed out later which is pretty cool I like how Crusher responds when Wesley asks her if she's afraid of the captain and she's like no, I certainly am not. But then he's he's like, well, he's a pain. And she says, well, your, your father liked him a lot. And she's yeah. really like, she doesn't seem to have a super high opinion of him, which I kind of like. Like earlier when she met Riker in the first episode that she was like, and, and Wesley's like, she doesn't like men who she's just met. But she, I get the impression that like, Crusher is not easily impressed by men <laughs> right now. I love that about her. Okay, so um, now we get, they go down. The away team splits up, so it's it's uh, Jordy, 
LaForge, Tasha Yar, uh, Deanna Troy, and William Riker and Data. They get down and Jordy's scanning the tunnels. It looks like it's made out of like material that they've never seen before. And again, Troy is like, she senses the same pain that she did in Groffler Zorn's office. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's like very distressing for her. Like she was originally closing off her mind and then Riker told her she had to open it up. But anyway, she's just like, it's super distressing to her. Yeah, they're basically, yeah, that's that's an interesting point you make because in a, in a sense, I guess every time that they call on Troy to use her abilities, they're, they're asking her to be vulnerable to something that might be injuring her yeah. or causing her pain, right? As is the sen- nature of empathetic people. It's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very true. Back up on the, on the bridge of the Enterprise, Wesley shows up. In the turbo lift. <laughs> so cool. And Picard is so unimpressed. He's so mad. He's like, what like, the hell? Like, he doesn't even start off like, like, excuse me, young person, are you lost? Because you probably didn't mean to come down to this place where you're not supposed to be. He's just like, yeah. children aren't allowed on the bridge. Um, but then Crusher comes out from behind him and says that her son, who is also Jack Crusher's son, and Jack Crusher clearly knew Picard, is not actually on the bridge. And when Picard realizes who who Wesley is, he invites him onto the bridge and invites him yeah. to look around. Um, He's like, I knew your father. Yeah. And, you know, it makes sense because of probably some guilt that Picard is feeling uh, that mm-hmm. he would let him on the bridge. I don't think it's necessarily like a good idea. If you have a rule that children aren't allowed on the bridge, maybe you don't make special exceptions. But like, I understand why he's doing it. But he yeah. could have maybe done it like not in the middle of a mission. Right, yeah, because it, it kind of sets up Wesley for the situation that he ends up in. Yeah, right? because he says, don't touch anything, but then he's like showing him stuff and a perimeter alert goes off and Wesley touches it. He doesn't do anything. He just says, hey, there's a perimeter alert. Like he, because he knows what's happening because he studied starship operations because he's like a genius. Yeah, but like if maybe, maybe if Picard had said like, okay, like let's talk about some safety protocols and then like, you know, when we're not in the middle of something, you can come onto the bridge. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the hours and hours and days we just spend flying between places <laughs> yeah. at warp speed, where we just kind of, like, hang out. Why don't you come sit on the bridge when that's happening instead? Yeah, but that wouldn't make for as good television, I guess. No, I yeah. guess not. Also, like, a super weird exit, super awkward exit from Crusher, because Worf is like, there's a perimeter alert, and, like, <laughs> Dr. Crusher is, like, on the turbo lift, and the doors are closing, and she's like, yeah, that's what my son tried to tell you. Like, the doors yeah. are closing on her face. It's a good point, though. And she is right. She is. That's what yeah, happened. Yeah, she is. She's stand up for him yeah 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 so uh, the perimeter alert is coming from like this massive massive flying saucer um it's so funny looking i i love it, it looks, i love the design of this it's, it's so like retro. uh yeah no it's like a 1960s flying saucer ufo yeah, type space thing. invasion um yep. but it's it's 12 times the size of the enterprise scans the enterprise with a purple glowy thing and then it fires on the bandy city as well yep. with the same the same purple glow, and the Enterprise can't scan it. Their sensors nope. just kind of bounce off it. Down on the on the planet, Riker orders LaForge and Yar and Troy to go back to the ship, and there's a, a bit of a, a moment where Troy doesn't want Riker to stay because he might get hurt, and he's like, no, no, I give you an order. I am your commanding officer. Yeah. If you should be hurt. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit, yeah. <laughs> a bit melodramatic, perhaps. A little bit, yeah, a yeah. little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, he calls her lieutenant, when in the previous episode, Picard called her commander, so I feel like... Oh, her... interesting. Yeah, I don't know if that's like a writing mistake, 
like or if there's I, I don't know it's trying weird. to assert some authority or yeah something, i'm not or? sure what her mm. rank is at this moment i think it's lieutenant commander probably probably yeah i guess yeah she's i think it's lieutenant she holds the rank of lieutenant commander right. they say at some point later okay. and she she goes on to become a commander right right right, right yeah but anyway she's like yeah you're right sorry and so then back on the ship picard locks weapons onto target onto the flying saucer and Q shows up to basically taunt Picard and say like yeah mm-hmm. you're, you're absolutely you're so typical like you're not even following your own rules like this is proof yeah. that you are in fact what he calls a savage race and Picard says that's not what's happening that was a precaution and we actually have medical teams at this moment beaming down to the Bandy City to provide aid and what he wants Worf to do is move the ship between the vessel and the planet but Worf yeah shield the the shield the city yeah but Worf can't he can't move the ship it does that really awesome like staticky noise that it <laughs> yeah when things don't love, work that don't that work noise. that, that love, yeah. noise or whatever yeah I always want that to happen on my laptop yeah. when things break yeah. I want that to be the noise when it breaks down yeah um, and it's not super clear, like, is that is that Q blocking them, do you think? Like, is he trying to sort of force their hand or, like, force them to I, be violent or? I'm not sure. Like, I I was thinking about that, too. And I wonder, like, if, if Q were to do that, it's almost unfair. Like, it doesn't, I, unfair in the sense that it doesn't give him then a clear sense of what they are willing to do in order to not be a terrible race of people. Yeah. But he does, like, later in the episode, he kind of does that by, like, trying to goad them to act like he tries to convince them to fire and he's like yeah so i feel like it is in line with him as a character picard insinuates that it is q that's blocking the ship but then i almost wondered like maybe it's the alien entity that's stopping yeah it's not it's not super clear right anyway data and Riker go to talk to groppler zorn but he is taken he clearly knows something they 100 percent don't believe him when he's like i don't know what's happening but then yeah they're like give it up yeah but he before they can kidnap him which is what picard told them to do he's beamed away with that same purple energy so clearly it's from this flying saucer yeah and then troy senses satisfaction but not know exactly where it's coming from and so that's why Riker suggests finally you know we need to go over there Mm -hmm. and figure out what's going on and q q's getting frustrated at this point he's like you should already know what you're going to find over there. Yeah. And Riker intervenes and says, haven't you been listening to anything he said? Like, humanity is no longer a savage race. Yeah. And and Q says, no, you still have to prove that. But in this, it, there almost sets up a dynamic there because it looks like Q likes Riker. Yeah. Like, there's something, you know, yeah. he likes his, his spirit. Picard goes to apologize to Dr. Crusher, um, but then he also says he would approve a transfer if from her and she's like oh you don't think i'm a good enough doctor or you have a problem with me personally and he's like no i just i thought maybe you wouldn't be comfortable serving under the commanding officer like under whom your husband was killed and uh he at no point does he say or if you'd prefer i could go command a different ship yeah, no kidding, right? It's so presumptuous it's, and arrogant it's of him. So yeah, it's so not not cool. And like yeah. like because I think one I'm gonna bring up an argument and then tear it apart because I don't agree with it. But one could say like he is the captain of the flagship and that's like that's about as good as you can get in Starfleet. Who on earth would ever give that up? But my response to that would be like 
she is the chief medical officer on the flagship. But she has said early on in the first episode, she said she's her her job has nothing to do with the command structure of the ship. Like she's a doctor, but like that's a pretty amazing job to be the chief medical officer on the flagship of the yeah, United States. Yeah, they're Federation both at planets. the top of their career. Yeah, right. So, they, they, it's the top posting of both of their career paths. Yeah, yeah. So there's no there's no reason that like she should be the one to relocate and not him. Yeah, it's that's it's not fair at all. And and she calls him on it, which is awesome. Hundred percent. Yeah. All right. So we are now the away team is over on the saucer and. Surprise, it's exactly the same as the underground tunnels under Farpoint Station. Yeah. Uh, Troy this time isn't sensing pain. She's feeling anger. Data makes this point. He says, sorry, sir. I seem to be commenting on everything. <laughs> and Riker just says, don't stop, my friend. And he never does. <laughs> he never, ever will. <laughs> <laughs> no. But I think I think also this is meant to show a little bit of growth on Riker, that he's like appreciating this aspect of data that's not yeah. human. Like it's a, this is part of data being an android and being yep. like not necessarily having the same responses that a human would. And, and Riker is like appreciating that. He calls him my friend and he, he tells him that it's it's good. Um, yep. what he's doing. Weirdly, when they report to the Enterprise, they're like communi- they use their communicators to talk to the Enterprise and uh, they say that it's a weird vessel. Like they say that it doesn't have any equipment or anyone like running it, but they don't say it looks just like the tunnels under Farpoint Station. Oh, I didn't even notice <laughs> like, that. Like that should yeah, be that's a pretty uh, important. Be like it's basically the station yeah. in space. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, Groppler Zorn is being tortured in like a purple energy and then as that's happening, Troy realizes that what she's sensing is just one one alien, just one being. And she also f- figures out that Zorn knows what's going on. He sa- He's like, I don't know what this wants. And she's like, that's false. You do. He just never, he's never willing to tell the truth about what's going on. No. Even like at this point, he's still trying to, he's doubling down. Q gets Picard to say that Picard will do whatever Q wants him to do because he can't, like, Picard can't beam his people back. And he's like, Q, let me bring my people back. And Q's, he's like, I'll do whatever I say. And then they automatically show up on the on the bridge. But it's it's not Q's doing. No, and, and, and Troy says that so that, you know, he's not bound to yeah. that agreement anymore. Yeah. And I think either, either at that point or right beforehand, uh, Q is taunting Picard to shoot the ship. Yeah. And he's like, well, I don't, he's like, I'm not going to shoot it. And, and. Q is saying, well, it's an unknown. Isn't that reason enough to shoot it? Yeah. It's, Trying to goad him into shooting the ship. He really ship, right? is. And I, I almost feel like Q is falling apart here because at, at one point, yeah, he says, shoot it because it's an unknown. And then Picard says, well, we're out here for the unknown. That's what brings us exactly. out here. And he's like, well, that's ridiculous because your intelligence is so limited. So like, <laughs> he's just he just keeps coming at it from like every possible angle just to try to get Picard to upset him. And I have to say my favorite moments in this scene are when like Picard or someone will like say something and Q will make this like snarky comment in response and then the next person will just talk as if Q weren't there. Like <laughs> those <laughs> are my favorite. Ignore you. <laughs> Let's be damned for what we yeah, are. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Anyway, Picard finally realizes what's going on that because Zorn Zorn says like we did nothing wrong. It was injured. We helped it. And what what's actually going on is that this vessel is a being. It turns into like a space jellyfish. The space station is the same being, the same mm-hmm. sentient life form. It is taking energy 
from the planet, this geothermal energy, and it can turn it into matter. Right, but not enough for it to ever be able to leave. So right. basically, they have they have enslaved it. Yeah, they have limited somehow limited the amount of energy it can take from the planet, so it can do whatever they want it to do, but it can't have enough to to leave. So what Picard does is he orders his crew to send an energy beam down to the station. He is, you know, he's not he's not a monster. He says, let's evacuate that station first. So Yeah, it's like all the if she Yeah, the thing lifting up out of the ground, you see people like falling yeah. off of it. Like, oh. yeah. Yeah. So he, he's like, if I'm right, there's not going to be any far point yeah. station so after he, this. He evacuates the station and he says, let this being have whatever it needs. And and yeah, so it takes as much energy from the energy beam as it needs, and then it ascends and beca- it turns into like a one of those flying saucers, and then it goes up and turns into space jellyfish. Yeah, it's like a space space jellyfish. Yeah, yeah. And they 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 have they touch tentacles. They yes, and they're all like we're we we love each other. Yeah, they hold hands. I was a little, and I I know you were too. I I was looking very carefully at the color of this. Yeah. So. I at first I was like, "Ugh, is it like one's pink and one's blue and they're like in love with each like they're like that's meant to be like one's a boy and one's a girl." And, th- yep. and then I was like, "Maybe it's not that because the blue one kind of looks purple in some like from some angles, so maybe maybe they're just like slightly different colors." I don't know. And th- then the other thing I noticed is like Riker wears a sort of pinkish red and Troy wears blue and <laughs> they do have a moment because right? they look at each other as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so it's supposed to, I think it's supposed to be a bit of a parallel. But I, I did notice is that it is the pink one rescuing the the blue one. Yeah. Uh, in the two of them. So, hey, maybe that flips the script a little bit. And then Troy has her, her iconic line, great joy and gratitude, great joy and gratitude from both of them. So Q's like, okay, clearly this was too easy a puzzle. You know, and now he's basically saying he's kind of like dismissing their success. Yeah. And he's like basically implies that they'll return. So like bump, bump, yeah, bump. Yeah, yeah. Q's, Q's going to come back. Q's going to be back. Then in the very last scene, something I have to point out, Tasha Yar is wearing a dress. She changes oh. uniform. She's not in her pants anymore. She's in like a dress like Troy's except yellow because she's security. Oh, I didn't notice yeah. that. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't until like the last time I watched it. Yeah, and, and there's I like the, the final exchange that Riker says he hopes that this kind of thing won't be the norm. And Picard says he doesn't think it will be, and he thinks that uh, future missions will be much more interesting. Yeah, far more interesting. <laughs> Let's see what's out there. Engage. Engage. Yeah. Yeah, they head away. And they head away, and that's the end of the first full episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. What I loved about this in the end is that it I think it comes back to that one line that Q has with Picard where he's like, shoot it it's an unknown mm-hmm. and that's what and that's reason enough and when i when i think about the spirit that i think they're trying to to highlight in this episode which I, they do fairly well I, I i never used to look back very fondly on encounter at farpoint but now having had a chance to watch it through again it's 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 not bad it's a pretty good episode but they're trying to show that like we want to embrace the unknown that's what exploration is. It's being willing to be open, not as a conquering force, not as a colonizing force, um, but as one that's going out to embrace the unknown. And that that's, I think that they're trying to show, what I'm getting from this is that that in of itself is what makes us more evolved as a species, is that we're curious, we're embracing wonder, we want to find the unknown. That's why we want to see what's out there. 
you know, that's why there's that last statement from Picard and that we're going to embrace the unknown with curiosity and wonder rather than hostility. And I think that's what makes Star Trek great. Yeah, I think, I mean, in terms of, I don't know, I'm, I'm certainly not like a TV expert by any means, but from my understanding of like this show, this episode as a pilot, it was different from other pilots of TV shows because this like TNG already had a deal like to to be aired so it wasn't like usually you create a a pilot and then you send it out to and then like a network you hope that a network will pick it up right and and then you create the rest of the show I didn't know that but I from what I what I've read on like I don't know IMDB or TV tropes or whatever that this this show already had like a a deal and so the purpose was more to introduce viewers to the characters and the ship and I think they did do a good job of that like they we definitely established a lot of character relationships some more than others like definitely heavy on Picard Riker Troy Crusher uh, and Wesley Crusher and a little bit less on the other ones but and and Data as well Um, a little bit less on the other ones but we definitely like got hints of you know eager beaver Geordie LaForge and Tasha yeah. Yar's got a difficult past and Worf is in a little bit bit out of place. Yeah, yeah. We're and we're definitely gonna dig into Worf's story. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But but that and, and then also the new ship. So we saw the holodeck, we saw that it can separate, we saw that that doesn't make for very entertaining television. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Duh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we saw that uh got someone who edits clips from the show clips from what's going on to to make a little clip show for Riker to see when he comes and on. we never meet them we never no, meet them we never, we never and I don't no. think that really ever happens again no I don't no I don't think they do because also no. didn't make for great television watching Riker no. watch what we had just watched seen the show in, yeah. in the same episode <laughs> like not even it wasn't even like in the second half when you might want to no. recap. Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> that's true. I hadn't thought of that. It's literally the same. They're like, we just saw this, like, this five minutes ago. Even, yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, do you guys remember what happened five minutes ago? Yeah, we do yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, but I think I think in terms of like setting up the characters and the ship and, and, and then, yeah, what this show is going to be about, it's about exploring the unknown. And that's also like tells us a lot about what Picard is like as a character. Like that's. Crusher referred to him as an explorer, and that's how he sees himself. That's what he wants to do. He wants to explore. He wants to see what's out there. There's a brief conversation between Troy and Picard earlier in the episode. This is actually just right before Q shows up and says, see you, don't even follow your own mm, rules. Mm-hmm. And part of that is, I think he's referring to the the violence that might be being done against this alien because they're locking phasers and everything on it. But one of them is also in light of the Prime Directive and yes. whether or not they're allowed to interfere in the situation. So in light of the Prime Directive, if you know that a species has enslaved another species, is it against the Prime Directive to liberate that species? Yeah, I think that's that's where we come up against the Prime Directive quite a bit in this series. That that's That's the kind of... I mean, the the conversation that Troy and Picard were having right before Q shows up is about whether they can defend the Bandy from this unknown because they're not officially allies. But Troy's basically like, well, we've entered into negotiations, so it probably isn't, like it probably doesn't count as interference to defend a group of people 
who have asked us for help and who we are have entered into negotiations with. And arguably saved them yeah. by liberating that creature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I think probably some would argue that yes, it does. And I think they don't really get into it in this episode, but the kind of benchmark that they use for whether they can interfere or not is whether that species has developed warp capabilities, right? Like, yeah. So basically, like, if you, if they were to come across a planet like ours currently, where we are right now, no matter what's going on here, they could not interfere with us. You know, arguably, we think of slavery as being limited to, like, the, you know, the, the transatlantic slave trade, yeah. those elements, those times in our own history. But arguably, there there is still a lot of slavery on our planet now. What would have happened, like, what would happen to Earth if an alien species just came in and started liberating people on our own planet? Mm-hmm. You know, how that, mm-hmm. would, how that would change things. But I think... They, we get into a little bit on that more later, and I think it 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 opens the door for those like that that exchange between Picard, Troy, and Q kind of opened the door for those those philosophical conversations later. But I think in terms of this episode, it was important just to establish that like no, we're not cool with slavery, mm-hmm. we're not cool with exploitation. Mm-hmm. That's the things of our past, and we wanted to honor that in this episode yeah. through the story. And I think the way they got around the Prime Directive with that is that they are in negotiations with the Bandy to get something. It's never really clear what they would get, I guess, aside from use of the station. Yeah. But the, clearly the Bandy wants something from them, so they can say, okay, you want something from us? Well, you are enslaving and exploiting this creature, so no. We're going to help. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, we're going to explore and do good in the universe, which is why I loved watching Star Trek. Q implies that, like, in a sense, the trial is not necessarily over. Like, they might have passed this one test, but mm-hmm. that the trial is kind of like an ongoing thing. And so we'll probably see him reappear again and, and hold up a measuring stick, albeit maybe in a hypocritical way toward yeah. the rest of humanity. But I think, again, for many people, Star Trek is that yardstick. It's a way for us to measure ourselves against this future vision mm-hmm. of the writer's uh, who've come on board of Gene Roddenberry, of course, who originally started it, um, of the actors who, you know, many of whom have, have, have their own charitable and, and social justice work that they do. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, thank you uh, for listening. Tune in next week where we're going to go into The Naked Now. <laughs> the Naked Now. <laughs> um, yeah. Where we get to learn about what happens if you get an Android hammer. <laughs> All right, thank you so much. Our cover art was created by Nathan Nunn, and you can find more of his work at nathannunn.ca. Our theme song is An Amazing Adventure by Flame Lion Studio. You can follow us on Instagram at firstlinkpod or send us an email at firstlinkpod at gmail.com. If you liked what you heard, please consider leaving us a stellar five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice. I'm Ruthie. And I'm Matthew. Engage! Engage!